Loved ones, I invite you now to turn in the Holy Word of God to our scripture passage this morning from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20. We are making our way through these lessons from Luke's gospel on the birth of Christ, the arrival of the Son of God in human history. We come to this passage. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 20, this is God's word. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I remember when I was a young little boy that Christmas mornings were always so magical for me. I loved waking up and uh, waiting with my brother until my parents let us run out to the Christmas tree to see all of the presents there underneath. And my parents still have uh, the VHS video footage of those mornings and they kind of captured on our face the joy and the surprise and the wonder that we had as little boys and those mornings felt glorious for me as a little boy well this passage here before us it reveals to us the true glory of christmas you know if we had video footage of the events recorded here we would see i think similar faces on the shepherds as they were met in the middle of the night, watching their flocks by this angel of the Lord. And then the glory of God's light shone around them, and then they were led by that angel and went together to see God's best present. They're lying for them, wrapped in cloths, wrapped in a manger. You see, this text shows us, loved ones, the true glory of Christmas is about the coming of Christ to this world, and to whom God revealed Christ. God wants us to see here how he operates, how he works his grace for sinners like us. He wants to show us his very heart in this. The birth of Christ is about God's loving heart for the down-and-out sinners of this world. 
And to see that from this text, to see the true glory of Christmas, we'll ask some questions and, and find the answers in the text itself. So first, our first question, why does Luke here, why does he emphasize the shepherds? And he doesn't even mention the wealthy magi that came from the east led by the star. Why does Luke so emphasize the shepherds here? Well, there are a couple possible answers. First of all, many of Luke's own audience that he's writing to, they came out of practicing magic. So they had magic books, and it was a very common thing in their culture. And so Luke might be cautious here, not wanting to give them the wrong impression that magicians came to Jesus, uh, the magicians from the East. And so that's, that's possible. He wants to caution us in that way. There's another possible reason, though, as well. Perhaps Luke does not want us to get the wrong idea that God favors the rich and the powerful. You see, Luke wants us to see that God likes to save down-and-out sinners, to show off his grace in this world, to show off how his grace reaches to save sinners who have nothing, not the good people who think they have it together, but those who are destitute, those who are needy. One commentator, Raymond Brown, says this, to modern romantics, the shepherds described by Luke take on the gentleness of their flocks. So we kind of see the shepherds in a more romantic way. But far from being regarded as either gentle or noble, in Jesus' own time, shepherds were often considered as dishonest and outside of the law of God. And he goes on to mention that this is often because they would graze their sheep on other people's lands, right? And so the rabbis of the day considered them kind of as on the naughty list, right? These were not eligible to be judges or witnesses in the court of law because they were being unjust. They were kind of stealing from others. They were lowly, kind of outcast in their culture. And so that is part of what Luke is showing us here, that God came to give his glory and grace, not to people who think they are good and full in this life, but to show his grace to those who realize that they are bad and they are empty and in need of Jesus. Our Lord himself, Jesus, grew up to teach this truth in Luke 5, where he says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we think about this, the very first people that God invited to come to see his glory and grace, which was given to the world in his Son, well, they were not the lofty sages from afar, but instead these lowly shepherds nearby. And this is still how God operates today. This is always how he has worked in his grace. God hasn't picked for his team the top shooters and the strongest defenders, the guys that we would pick for our team. No, God doesn't pick the guys even that are on the bench for his team. From among the bleachers, the nosebleeds, God has picked the down-and-out sinners of the world like these shepherds. And why? Why? To show us that his salvation is meant for people who realize, who see their need for salvation, not those who think they have it all together. And this is also why Luke gives us an important detail here that the shepherds 
were living out in the fields nearby. Details like that are not just literary fluff, just to add to, to depict the scene for us. This is an important detail, and we need to think of the context of what's happening here. Luke has just told us about the birth of the son of Mary who was born into the house of David in Bethlehem, right? The town of David. This was the child who was the promised son of David, the rightful heir to the king or to the throne in Israel as king. Now, who was David? Well, he was the greatest king over Israel, the man after God's own heart, and David was the chosen one of the Lord. Now, if we think back uh, when Israel first chose a king for themselves, a human king, do you remember whom the people of Israel chose to be king? It wasn't David. It was Saul. Saul, he was the tallest and most handsome man in all of Israel. And that shows us how the world works, right? That shows us how we often work, how the world chooses and judges. We often evaluate others based on outward appearances, based on their kind of airbrushed selves on social media. That's how we evaluate where someone is in life. Or based on the cars that they drive or the zip code that they live in. That is the way of the world that we are often so caught up in ourselves. But that is not the way of God. As Isaiah says, The Lord says through Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Now think about this. Isn't this precisely how God chose David, young David? David was the least and the last of the sons of Jesse. When Samuel the prophet arrived in Bethlehem to the house of Jesse, Samuel saw with his eyes the impressive stature of all of Jesse's sons, and he thought, surely the The anointed of the Lord, the king, is here among these sons at the table. But the Lord directed Samuel to another son of Jesse, who happened to be where? Out in the fields, tending to his flock of sheep. There in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to his prophet, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel then asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? No, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And the Lord said to Samuel, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. You see what Luke has done for us. Here in writing his story, this account of what happened, by mentioning the fact that these shepherds were living out in the fields of Bethlehem, tending to their sheep, he has linked this event to the story of when God chose David as king. In a sense, we can think of it in this way. Luke has dropped a hyperlink in this text that sends us back to the time when God chose that young shepherd boy to be his king the one who was also out in the fields tending to his sheep. And what does Luke want us to see in this? Luke wants us to see something profound in the way that God works. He wants us to learn something about how God appoints people to eternal life. He wants us to know that God is pleased with those who realize that they have nothing to boast in in this life but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, this is the danger 
The danger that Luke, in his gospel account, often brings up over and over again. The danger that comes with being among the elites of the world, or being one of the brightest and the best of the world, or the healthy and successful. Well, what happens? Those who are at the top notch in life often easily slouch into the sofa of pride. Think of that. The richer and the more powerful you become in life, well, then the more comfortable you become with yourself. And the less likely you'll see your need to get up in faith and embrace the comfort of Christ for sinners. Why? Because in this life, those who are rich and wealthy and healthy, etc., well, they think that they have much to boast in and delight in already. And such a person thinks, well, why do I really need Christ when I have all of these comforts that I myself have earned and achieved? Well, what God, loved ones, would have the elites of the world to consider is that their riches, their strength, their beauty, and all those worldly comforts, they will fade and fall away. What good? What good is all your money and all your presence, all your possessions, when you, in the end, are dead? Which is the fate of us all. It will probably be spent, even all of your money, by the time your grandkids are adults. All of your strength and beauty will eventually droop and sag until you are pulled down to the grave. And many comforts in this life will not bring you any comfort in the coffin in the end. You see, all the things that we so often boast of and delight in today will be gone tomorrow. You might have them and own them right now, but you don't own them in any ultimate sense. You don't even own your own life. It's on loan, and God will take that back in time as well. You see, these are lessons that many people in the affluent societies of the world never really learn, not even on their deathbed. But they are lessons that the plain and poor people of the world know by their whole life experience. Think of that. The lesson that many elites learn at times at death is something that the down and outs of this world already know. And that's this lesson that at the end of the day, when we have come to our last breath, we don't have anything to boast of. And we have nothing to comfort us in an ultimate sense. Nothing in this life lasts. So do you realize that this morning? That we live in this affluent society and we have these many temporary comforts. Have you learned that they are temporary, that they do not last? Do you see that in the end that we are like the lowly shepherds, even if you are the most wealthy person in the world, that we have nothing to boast of and nothing to cling to that will give us comfort all the way to the end and beyond the grave except Jesus Christ? Have you learned what King David says in Psalm 73, verse 26? My flesh and my heart may fail. You see, even my own life will eventually fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He realized that ultimately what he has is God himself, right? It is important that you realize this, that we all realize this. Why? So that you will get up and go to Christ by faith. You see, if you think you have it all together and you feel comfortable in your sins and your worldly delights, then you will never go to Jesus. 
You need to see yourself as an equal with these lowly shepherds. You need to see that you too have nothing to boast of in an ultimate sense because all will fade and fall away eventually. Only then, only then will you see yourself naked and empty and truly come to Christ to be clothed with his righteousness and filled with his spirit. Like Jesus implied there, only the sick, only those who see and realize that they are sick go to the doctor. And so do you see that you are a sinner in need of Christ's healing, his forgiveness, and his righteousness. Loved ones, this morning, do you see your need for Jesus and the glory of this Christmas morning? Do you see that he is not only all that you need, but at the end of the day, Christ is all that you truly have. He is your only portion both now and forever. Do you see that at the end of the day, when you take that final breath, that having Jesus is the only thing that will not fade or fall away? That knowing Jesus and being known by him is our ultimate comfort in both life and in death. Now think about this, these lowly shepherds that God led to Jesus that night to behold Jesus They had nothing in this world. And yet they were brought to the one who owns all things. God was leading these men who had no great worldly possessions to behold with their eyes the one who possesses the entire cosmos as the rightful owner, the creator God himself. Not only that, it wasn't as if God was saying, hey, poor guys, come, come look. Look at the one who owns all things. He's not like the rich of the world mocking the poor or belittling those who have nothing. God was leading these lowly shepherds to Jesus so that they could have Jesus for themselves as their own, their own portion forever, to have and to hold as their possession both now and forevermore. Before the shepherds went to Jesus, They had nothing in this world, but when they arrived, they had everything in Christ. And the glory of the Lord had shone around them, right? In that moment when the angel appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them, this bright light, it was as if this portal between God's realm of his glory and our earthly existence, that there's this portal that opened up and God's light of his favor burst through and shown around these sinful shepherds, not around self-righteous sages, but these sinful, lowly shepherds. And that was itself not the full glory of the Lord. The glory that shone around them was, in a sense, foreshadowing the full glory of the Lord that they would behold with their own eyes there in Bethlehem in the manger. This light with the angels prepared them to see the full glory of God in the baby, who was indeed the light of the world. But as they went and beheld Jesus there, it wasn't as if his face was radiating with light. No, they saw God's glory wrapped in humility, right? In swaddling cloths, bound up, unable to move himself from the manger. The son of David, the son of God, Jesus the Christ. And perhaps even that was a foreshadowing of Christ's greater glory in his hour of suffering, his hour of glory 30 years later when he would be nailed to the cross, 
dying to suffer for our sins, and then his body would be wrapped up in linen and laid in a tomb, unable to move. You see, this is the true glory of Christmas. Again, the descent of the Son of God into our misery in order to save us from our sins. This is not the kind of glory that the world wants. This is not the kind of glory that healthy and wealthy people want. This is not the kind of help that good people look for. Most people think that they're kind of like a, a cold and unflavored soup that's been left out overnight. They think that, oh, I just need God to warm me up and give me a dash of salt to brighten up my flavor. They think I just need a little bit of dusting of God's grace to make me glorious. But if that were the case, well, God would have sent us tools, resources to fix ourselves. He would have sent us kind of magical amulets or spiritual medicine so that we can take it and apply it and fix ourselves. And in a sense, that's kind of what the law of God was for Israel before. Think of it in this way. The law of Moses was this glorious tool that God sent from heaven, gave to his people Israel through Moses for the task of improving themselves. And how did that go for them? How did they do with that glorious tool of the law? Well, it didn't make them all that glorious. The law or any other tool given to us cannot fix us. We are too far gone. And that's why God did not send us a dusting of his glory to lift us up into glory, but instead he sent us his son to take on the dusty frame of our humanity, our human nature, because we are so bad off that God needed to take us from dust to glory by becoming dust himself in the person of Christ. We can't get there with just a little bit of help. We needed God to come and do it all for us. He didn't send us tools to save us. He sent us the Savior to save us. He sent us his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And there the shepherds who had, throughout their life, tended to sheep, were beholding the Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sins of the world. Again, because we were so lost in deep darkness and too far gone, God sent the light of the world to give us a new dawn, the hope of glory through the person of Christ, our Savior. And that is the true glory of Christmas, God's saving grace coming to save the down and out sinners of this world. How should we respond? How should we respond? Well, how did the shepherds respond on that evening? Well, they did three things we'll look at briefly here. First, what do they do? They went to Jesus with nothing to bring but their faith. They entered that animal stall and found the infant child there lying in the manger, and they looked upon that little baby with faith, hope, and love. They saw in the person of Jesus their greatest treasure, their full salvation, their portion forever. And so have you gone to Jesus by faith? Have you gone to Christ, him who was born of Mary? Have you gone to him and in your heart said, he is all my hope and stay. Here is my greatest treasure, Jesus, my greatest prize and possession. 
Follow the shepherds and embrace him as your savior, your prince of peace, your king. You see that they went to Jesus, right? Secondly, what else did they do? After they went to Jesus, it says that they witnessed about Jesus. Notice that after they saw Jesus, after they found him for themselves, right? He's mine, he's ours. They beheld him with their own eyes by faith. Well, they wanted to share him with others. Luke says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. So, loved ones, if you have come to Jesus by faith, if you have found the glory of God in Christ who was sent for you, then shouldn't you want to share that with others? That good news? Share the good news about what God has done for you, what God has done for down-and-out sinners like us. May we follow the lead of the shepherds and spread the word about Jesus and the coming of salvation and joy through him. So they went to Jesus, they witnessed about Jesus, and lastly, they worshiped Jesus. Luke tells us the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. So did they return to the manger after they went and spread the word about Jesus, or did they return to their fields nearby to go back to tending their sheep? Well, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. What matters is that they went worshiping Jesus. God's grace had changed them. They weren't just lowly shepherds anymore. They had heard and seen wonderful things. They had reason for rejoicing because of God's grace, which was shown to them. They were not suddenly rich and famous in the eyes of the world, but God's grace had made them rich and famous in the kingdom of God forevermore. And so they went about rejoicing. Those who were the last of the world were made the first, the first in line to see King Jesus born. Those who were the least were given the greatest privilege of all to behold God in the face of little baby Jesus. And so they glorified and praised God. With joy and adoration, they worshiped Jesus. So, loved ones, we've seen how God operates. We've seen how we ought to respond as well. We've seen the true glory of Christmas. This is what the angels declared to the shepherds. They said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. On those whom his favor rests. On whom does God's favor rest? That's what we've been considering, right? Whom does he bless with peace and salvation? God's saving grace comes to the down-and-out sinners of the world. In God's kingdom, the last are made first, and the least are raised to the privilege of greatness. Why? Why? Again, to make much of God's grace, to the praise of his glorious grace. One last brief meditation here at the close. Lastly, Mary. Mary was there. She was witnessing this. She was this kind of bystander there. As she sat there and received these shepherds and heard what they said, she knew that she was holding on to the world's greatest treasure, the very Son of God. She gladly sat there having nothing in this world. Think of that. She had nothing in this world. But she was holding on to Christ himself 
in her arms. And so too, we might have nothing really to boast of in this world, but if we have Christ by faith, we have everything that matters. Everything that lasts. If we have Christ by faith, we have true glory both now and forevermore. So here is the expression of faith that we must learn along with the shepherds and with Mary. We must say by faith that Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I have. Jesus alone will last. Jesus is all I really want. Give me Jesus. As the hymn says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Loved ones, may we follow Mary's example and treasure up all these things, pondering them in our hearts, even as we go about the rest of our day, celebrating with family and friends the true glory of Christmas, the coming of Christ to save sinners like us. Amen. Let us pray.